from the Daily Northwestern, this is The Weekly. I'm Shane McKeon. It's week four, week four. Hopefully midterm season hasn't hit you too hard yet, but we got three stories up on today's show and we hope you like them. First up, on Monday, protesters gathered at The Rock for Indigenous Peoples Day. You might also know it as Columbus Day. They got together for the holiday, but they also wanted to protest the Dakota Access Pipeline. For more on that, here's WNUR's Alex Letterman and our own Nicole Fallard. One last time. Water is life! Water is life! You can't drink oil! You can't drink oil! Water is life! The chance of around 50 students and community members marching from The Rock to Norris. They're protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline. And that's a pipeline that Energy Transfer Partners is building from North Dakota down to Illinois. That's Rebecca Kaufman from the American Indian Center, Chicago. They organized the rally along with the Native American and Indigenous Student Alliance at Northwestern. And some friends from Fossil Free and you make a banner for our rally. Uh, It's just hashtag no Dakota Access Pipeline and it's uh, celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day simultaneously. The rally took place on Indigenous Peoples Day, which Evanston replaced Columbus Day with earlier this year. We don't celebrate Columbus, we don't celebrate colonialism. Uh, We celebrate the independence and sovereignty of Indigenous people. That's Nina Devine from Northwestern's Office of the President and the coordinator of the Native American and Indigenous Peoples Steering Group. The university doesn't have an official stance on the issue, in which the pipeline is proposed to tap into undiscovered oil between Illinois and the Dakotas, but threatens the Standing Rock Sioux tribe's environmental and economic well-being and would damage and destroy sites of great historic, religious, and cultural significance to the tribe. I just think that the Dakota Access Pipeline represents a long history of the United States' uh, genocide against indigenous peoples and devaluating of their livelihood. Standing in front of a sign that reads, No Dapple, and expresses solidarity with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe against the Dakota Access Pipeline, students are fighting to preserve the heritage of Native American populations in a city founded by a man responsible for a huge massacre of indigenous peoples. The issue of dispossession of Native lands and rights to clean water is a national and even international issue, so um, you know, just because the issue isn't here doesn't mean we can't stand against injustice on our campus, and it doesn't mean that there aren't injustices against Native students and Native peoples happening in our backyard in Chicago and Evanston or even on campus. It's protecting something that all of us need. It's not because I'm Native, it's not because I'm Cherokee, it's not really because of my job at all, but it's it's protecting something that all of us need, regardless of if you're Native, uh, regardless of what your race is, regardless of where you live. Uh, the water and the land affects everybody. One last time so I can hear us all the way. I'm Dakota. Water is life! Water is life! You can't drink oil! You can't drink oil! Earlier this quarter, the university announced it would end counseling at the Women's Center. Instead, it will now be housed at CAPS. Claire Fahey sat down with The Daily's Yvonne Kim to get an update on what changes were made to the Women's Center and why. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Claire. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me. Yeah, of course. Can you talk about the difference between counseling at CAPS and at the Women's Center? Yeah, so the Women's Center provides confidential, long-term counseling for any student of any gender who needs it. And the main concern is that students don't think that CAPS can do the same thing. CAPS basically provides crisis intervention and short-term counseling for students. Linzer did say that 
since CAPS did lift its 12-session limit for students, it also definitely can provide long-term counseling for students as well, especially for those who need it. But the main concern and worry that students have is that it's different from the Women's Center because it doesn't provide personalized, long-term, confidential services, and it's not as comfortable or safe feeling for students who may be victims of sexual assault or have you know, developed close relationships with people in the Women's Center. Yeah. So why did the Office of the Provost make this decision? So basically they think that the Office of the Provost is not well fit enough to take care of professional health care needs. CAPS does have people of different medical backgrounds, different professional backgrounds, who can help students or redirect students to other counseling services if need be, whereas the Women's Center directly reports to the Office of the Provost. And according to Provost Linzer, he doesn't think that his office or anybody in his office is well-equipped enough to handle medical needs of students. So what does this integration of counseling mean? So basically long-term or short-term counseling services will basically be streamlined through CAPS. The Women's Center obviously is still going to exist. It's still going to be a place where students can go and receive certain services, but counseling will surely be integrated through CAPS. What that means for campus is that CAPS is going to continue increasing the amount of staff it has, trying to diversify to meet the needs of underrepresented students, and just make sure that the healthcare needs of students are well responded to. Also, Provost Dan Linzer did say that the Office of the Provost is trying to make sure that anybody who is receiving health care is receiving the best health care possible. And he doesn't think that that's possible through the Women's Center since it doesn't have the same professional capacities as CAPS. So can you describe the reaction people on campus have had to this announcement? There was a lot of concern from students, maybe students who had previously used counseling at the Women's Center. I've heard from students who you know, were PAs and they had advised their freshmen that they could go to the Women's Center. And as I mentioned before, the main problem is that they want a place that provides long-term counseling. So there's a lot of anger and frustration about that. And also for people who are marginalized groups, so LGBT communities, women on campus, or survivors of sexual violence who felt safe in the Women's Center are really angry that now they have to go to CAPS. Could you talk a little bit about how this conversation about the Women's Center counseling being closed has been linked to university processes on sexual assault and reporting? The university has actually announced a lot of changes in terms of their approach to sexual misconduct and sexual assault reporting. And for the most part, it seems that students see a lot of positive changes going on. They edited their definition of consent. They're adding a lot of things that will remove ambiguities in how they approach sexual misconduct. But the changes to the Women's Center students would describe as kind of a step backwards. And ultimately, students who have previously described the Women's Center as a very safe and comfortable space where they could receive confidential counseling are afraid because they're not going to be able to do so at CAPS. Another concern is that even if CAPS does have more staffers and they do have more resources in coming months, they don't have the same type of comfort and the same type of confidentiality that students were able to achieve through the Women's Center in the past. Yeah, thanks so much for sitting down and talking with me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. If you walk down Chicago Avenue this fall, you may notice a small red food truck parked near Allison Hall. Inside that truck, you'll find Nathaniel Davis, who operates Wicked Good Witches. Shortly after turning 50, Davis quit his job at a vacuum cleaner manufacturing company and started the food truck. Our own Davis Rich talked to the sandwich connoisseur and filed this report. 
I talked to Nathaniel Davis, the owner of Wicked Good Witches, a food truck students might recognize next to Allison Residence. Davis hasn't been in the food industry for very long. I had a stroke about, uh, well, in 2008, um, and that was, that me as a, able to speak and I was in a wheelchair. Davis battled back, recovering to settle into a corporate job. However, he found it unfulfilling. It was kind of boring and I said, to hell with it, let's do a food truck. Last December, Davis bought a food truck, previously known as the salsa truck. I bought the food truck from a guy named Dan. If you look closely, you can see it was the salsa truck and he was ready to move on to bigger and better things, and he was sorry to see it, to see it go, but yeah. Uh, uh, so I bought it around Christmas last year. He pinpointed Evanston as his market because of its proximity to Northwestern students. My daughter goes to Boston College, and they've got a, a number of food trucks there. So I'm open, obviously, to anyone, but it's it's more, more fun to, to sell to students. With his truck and his location picked out, Davis set out to clear the final barrier before opening Wicked Good Witches. At that point, they had a archaic rule or law in place that if you were gonna have a food truck, you had to be a brick and mortar restaurant. It took a long time. I, I think probably just because with the brick and mortar law, in place, they basically didn't have anybody trying. While Davis was haggling with Evanston officials over his license, the city council passed an ordinance that allowed Davis and any other prospective food truck owners to open for business. The menu at Wicked Good Witches only features four sandwiches, but it isn't like your conventional deli. Davis serves an array of sandwiches, from banh mi to chicken tacos to pulled pork. He doesn't follow a cookbook, instead opting to experiment to find a happy medium. I've just, you know, tried different things and different herbs and different amounts, and then I came across the, the perfect amounts. The food truck is small. I had to crouch down inside the kitchen Navigating space between two people in the back of the truck was difficult when someone had to switch sides. Mine is kind of unique in that it's, it's shorter than a typical food truck. It's basically big enough for two people, but I can run the show myself. Yet the size of Wicked Good Witches affords Davis the flexibility to navigate smaller parking spaces around Evanston, like the one outside of Allison. That's our show. The Weekly is a production of the Daily Northwestern, Northwestern and Evanston's only daily news source since 1881. Thank you to Claire Fahey, Nicole Fallert, Davis Rich, and Rachel Silverstein, and WNUR's Alex Letterman. If you'd like to join the Daily or the Weekly, go to our website, dailynorthwestern.com, and click on the Join Us button. Thanks for listening.